Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and the Gospel reading of Luke chapter 24, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, my question for you today is this What gets your heart going? I mean, what gets that blood flowing, your heart racing, pumping a little faster? I mean, for me, the first thing that comes to my mind is exercise, and, and really, I mean sports, that physical activity, and also that competition, and a little bit of anxiety right before a game starts. I haven't had this in over a month. No one has. Yes, I could get up, go outside, and run, but, man, the couch is so comfortable. The second thing I think of when I, I think about what gets my heart going is, of course, food. And since I'm not exercising, I'm trying to live out Ecclesiastes 9 to eat and drink with a merry heart, which has come quite easy, actually. The third thing, which... Now that I've listed them, I should have put this one first. Uh, that is uh, my wife, which Ecclesiastes also mentions. I would add that uh, our children as well. This is our portion in life. To eat and drink and see one another, get a little exercise, chasing our kids around. Now if you wanted to turn back time, those of you who are married, think about your wedding day walking down that aisle. How fast was your heart racing then? Parents, you can think about when your children were born. How was your heart as you were heading to the hospital? Or during your 32 hours of labor? And then when you get that first look at your child. And now... How do they make your heart feel when they do something you don't approve of? And what about when you haven't seen loved ones in a long time? Does your heart beat a little bit faster then? For many of us, we're seeing those loved ones through a window, or a door, or a computer screen now. Think about when you'll be able to touch them, to hug them, to kiss them. And what that will do to your heart. Of course, as you read Ecclesiastes, you can also feel the cynical tone of Solomon talking about the vain life that all of us have amidst the enjoyments of it. Which some of you might be feeling. Because not all of you are enjoying life right now. As we talk about these relationships we also know that not everybody's heart is working properly. For some of you, you have heart problems. Your heart is troubled. It might be an emotional problem from the result of a breakup. Your heart is broken. It feels that way, like it's never going to recover. Maybe you are alone and you're isolated. And you have no one. And your heart is lonely. In the words of Ecclesiastes, life 
might seem pretty meaningless. For others, it's a physical problem because your heart may literally be broken. It doesn't function properly. Maybe you've had a heart attack. Maybe you've had heart disease. It doesn't beat. It doesn't pump properly. Maybe you have a pacemaker, a VAD, a device that actually has to make your heart function like it's supposed to. In these cases, we, we see the effects of sin on the world. Our bodies fail us. Our hearts fail us. Because we are not perfect, and we're born into sin. And this is never how God intended our life to turn out with all of its struggles and trials and sickness and disease and death. Yet here we are, in this vain, hopeless, meaningless life. It can certainly seem that way. Some days. Maybe even most days. And sometimes we just need our eyes and our hearts open for us to see the big picture, to see what was really there all along. And that's what happens in the gospel reading with some former followers of Jesus who experience their own heart issues. Heartburn. And no, I don't mean the kind that you get from too much indulging. On top of that, their hearts were slow. Slow to believe. Which is why we find them on the road to Emmaus in the first place. They had heard from the disciples and from the Marys and other women who had seen angels who told them that Christ had risen and was alive. But since they hadn't seen him, they didn't believe. Does this sound familiar at all? Maybe like Thomas, which you heard last week? Except unlike Thomas, these two didn't hang around. To them, Jesus is now dead and forever buried in their hearts. This appears from their own confession when they say, We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They didn't even wait the entire third day, and they're out, not giving Jesus a chance to appear to them. The women told them. The other disciples told them. But it just didn't sink in. Parents, how many times do you have to tell your kids something before they finally listen and understand? No cookies before dinner because it's going to ruin your appetite. No cookies before dinner. Take your muddy shoes off before you walk all over the white carpet. Take your muddy shoes off. Oh, look, at least I know where my kid is because I can follow the trail of mud and chocolate chips. These guys are doing what they want. They're walking the road they wanted to, not listening. So guess what? God meets them where they're at. This is the same for us, too. We walk the road that we want to every single day. We do our own thing. We don't listen. And so God comes and meets us where we're at. He comes and walks right next to us on our road. And it doesn't matter if we're the most righteous person in the world, or we're like Paul, and we are the worst of sinners. 
That's how I feel about myself. And the conversations that happen is probably some of my favorite conversations of Jesus ever, especially since these two are kept from recognizing him. As he joined them, he asked what they're talking about. Now by this time, news had probably gotten around all of Jerusalem and that Jesus of Nazareth was dead. And Cleopas says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, What things? Here is the Son of God, even though they don't know it yet, walking up to these two, and he plays dumb. It's incredible to think that our Lord would play dumb. But I think he has a reason for it. He knows what's wrong with them. And in asking, he wants them to come to him. His coming to them and walking alongside of them illustrates the truth that Jesus promises at the end of Matthew. That I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was with these two here, and he's still with us today. And Jesus desires to walk with each of us. And he's with us even if we don't recognize him. And when we don't recognize him. The risen Lord wants to join us in our travels of life. Wherever they take us. For he desires to walk with us. And us with him. And in asking this question, he allowed these two to tell their deepest hurts and angers and frustrations. I mean, they poured their hearts into him as they were counting on Jesus to redeem Israel. They had placed all of their hope in him, and when he died, their hopes died with him. And Jesus is the great empathetic listener. He's able to listen to their hurts and their pains and He's also able to listen to us when we pour our hearts out to him. All of our hurts, all of our pains, all of our sufferings. And he has the ability to enter into our pain, to enter into our suffering, because he has suffered it all. Jesus once said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is exactly what is happening here. These two had no idea that they were talking to the one who had been crucified and ro ro rose from the dead. The one who would turn their sorrow into joy. Do you? Do you know that Jesus desires to converse with you through prayer, through the reading of his word, through worship, and through his supper? That we can tell him whatever is on our hearts and minds. He wants to listen. To converse with us. Do you take advantage of this on a regular basis? Especially now since we have so much time spent at home. With maybe a select few number of people. If there's even anybody living with us at all. And then in this conversation with these two, the real Jesus comes out and he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. His words weren't intended to harm or insult, but almost to challenge their belief. Well, their belief in what? In the scriptures, in the word of God. I mean, these two knew the biblical prophecies of the Messiah, yet they could not understand why God did not intervene to save Jesus from the cross. And they leave downhearted and hopeless. Jesus calls them foolish. And if we've learned anything from Ecclesiastes, you're foolish or you're wise. And these guys are not wise. And that's what sin does. It makes us fools. It makes us doubt. It makes us turn and walk away from God. And as Psalm 53 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Would he say that to us today? How slow we are to believe. How foolish we are. How much help do we need to believe? Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to work in us, yet we still have doubts. So for these two, Jesus came up to them and he played dumb. And now he begins to tell them everything they need to know to help them understand the true work of the Messiah. He plays dumb and then he tells them everything. And this is one of the most important pieces of this story. Moses, the prophets, all the scriptures, the Bible is all about him. Everything. The story of Jesus doesn't begin in the New Testament. The story of Jesus begins in the beginning, in Genesis. Everything is about him. Yet this is not the end of their story. And as the journey neared an end, the two invite Jesus to stay with them. And as they sit and eat, these guys still have no clue that it's Jesus. And look at this. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It's the actions of Christ, the breaking of the bread that they finally get it, finally understand. Their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. This is the same for us too. When we commune, when we gather at the Lord's table, we commune with the Lord, with Jesus. And every time we come to his table, we're just like these two followers. And the action of Christ has significant impact for us. It is only in Christ's actions that we are able to get it. Now we are sinners. And because we are sinners, there's a lot of things that we don't get. But what we certainly don't get is eternal life because of our sin. What we do get for our sin is punishment, pain, and death, eternal death, 
hell. So Christ had to act for us. And his actions took him to the cross where he suffered hell and died on a cross for us that we would receive the forgiveness of our sins, that we would receive life and salvation. And then just as the scripture said, as we see in the gospel reading, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, declaring his victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. He sacrificed his body and his blood for us, for our forgiveness, and this is exactly what we receive in the Lord's Supper. The bread and wine are not just a symbol or a representation, but they are truly Christ's body and his blood. As his word tells us, Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. And that's why it's going to be so great to celebrate this with all of you the next chance we get. And for all of us, the result of Christ's actions are life-changing, life-altering. There is no longer fear in death because Christ is all about life, eternal life. And just as quickly as these two recognized Jesus, he was gone from their midst in an instant. And now their hearts are really going. Once they came into the presence of the risen Lord, their hearts were ablaze. And a burning fire gives light for all to see. And these two finally saw, and they understood, and they believed. All because of Christ. His victory became their restoring hope. It became the anchor of their lives. And with a renewed spirit, you can imagine them running back to Jerusalem. I mean, that long, sad, discouraged walk to Emmaus now became a joyous run to Jerusalem with this transformed strength. And when arriving back, they found the eleven together and announced their new hope, that he is risen indeed. Alleluia! We know the truth that he is risen, and one day he will come back to take us to be with him. And do we believe? And do we live like we believe? Jesus sent us his Spirit to help us believe, to create faith in us, to live out that faith. And he makes our hearts burn for him. And he wants us to walk with him. It reminds me of the phrase, you may have heard it before, worship is a lifestyle, not a Sunday event. We have the truth with us. We have God's word. The scriptures have been opened to us. But do we do anything with it during the week? Or is it only here, right now? Are we the followers before Jesus makes himself known? Sad, downhearted, going back to daily life. Do we do that once we leave this place or... Once we turn off our TV, close our computer, put down our phones. For the two followers, they went to Emmaus. For us, are we going back to our comfortable, lazy, sinful lives once this live stream is ended? 
Or are we like those eyes-open followers who run back to Jerusalem to tell the good news that Christ is risen? For us, it's that renewed, forgiven, baptized life where we share the good news of Jesus with others. And it's living the reality of heaven, salvation, now. Ecclesiastes reminds us that death comes for all. The righteous, the unrighteous, the believers and non-believers, the wise and the foolish. The Gospel of Luke reminds us that Jesus died for all. And the message of his resurrection is the message for everyone. The righteous, the unrighteous, the believers and non-believers, the wise and the foolish. And one more thing that we can take from this is that Jesus is with us wherever we're at. He is with you when you doubt and are in your sin. And he's with you when you believe. He's with you on those days when your hearts burn for him. And he's with you when your hearts are hardened toward him. He's with you when you are surrounded by love and all of your loved ones. And he's with you when you are alone and isolated. He is with you when you are able to eat and drink and be merry. And he's with you when your body is failing and you are no longer able to eat or drink anything. He is always with us to the very end of the age. And if that isn't enough, know that Jesus Christ died for each and every one of your sins and walks with you all of your life whether you realize it or not. And he does walk with you because Jesus Christ is alive and he is risen indeed. Alleluia. And who told you these things? Well, he told you. And the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.